Before we even cry out to our Heavenly Father, He knows our need. Before we gather our thoughts sufficiently even to articulate the prayer or the cry of our heart, He knows it in detail. He knows us completely better than we know ourselves. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we begin a new message today, taking a look at our all-knowing, all-wise God. And, and Jonathan, you talk about crying out to this all-knowing and all-wise God. If he already knows everything, why do we need to cry out to him? Well, it's an interesting question. Why does God encourage us to pray when he already knows what we're going to say And I'm not sure that we have a complete and a full answer for that. There's some element of mystery in that. But I take it that prayer does something very significant for us in terms of our, our relationship with the Lord and learning to trust Him and learning to walk with Him. Presumably, there is something profoundly valuable and significant for the believer to learn to talk to the Lord in prayer, to relate to Him in this way, to lay our hearts open before Him, and to call upon Him to to help us and to carry us, to uphold us, to teach us. I presume, and I know from experience, it does us profound good. God doesn't need our prayers, but do we ever need to pray? We do, and one of the things, because he knows us so intimately and so well, there's no use trying to come to him with any sort of pretenses there, trying to feel like, okay, I've got to get my life kind of cleaned up before I can come to him in prayer. Absolutely not. There would be there would be no no value in that because the Lord knows our hearts as we come to him. But I think the fact that God is all-knowing and all-wise it actually, in a funny kind of way, it motivates our prayers because we come to one who is able to help, one who is supremely wise and supremely powerful. And what a comfort that is, that we can talk to such a one and we can have the assurance that he's interested, he cares, he knows, he loves us, he's able to intervene. Well, we're going to look at this topic further in today's broadcast. Hope that you'll stay with us. Here is Jonathan. Artificial intelligence, as you will know, has come a long way in recent years, and many of us are seeing the benefit of that, with Alexa from Google or Siri from Apple becoming our trusted virtual assistant and CyberPal. And of course, the more and more we interact with these various systems, the more impressive they seem to us. It can feel as though their capacity is endless and their knowledge, well, almost limitless. I was driving along in the car a little while ago and wanted to put a call in to My mother, actually, I I sometimes call other people. I have friends and everything, but um, I thought I need to call my mother. And uh, I I thought this would be a good opportunity to test out Siri's capacity. You know, Siri and I had developed a bit of a rapport, and I thought, well, I'll allow Siri to place this call for me. So I called out and I said to my phone, hey, Siri, call mum on her cell anticipating that the call would begin right away, I was a little surprised that Siri took it upon herself to kind of talk back to me. And with something of an impertinent tone, Siri said this, I'm sorry, I don't know who your mother is. (laughs) In fact, she continued, I don't know who you are. (laughs) Well, so much for artificial intelligence. There's a great deal of knowledge in the world, more even than the greatest supercomputers will ever know. But the knowledge held and compiled by human beings and all our clever systems, it is but a drop in the bucket of all that there is to know. 
No library, no server, no system of artificial intelligence could claim to hold even a fraction of all that is knowable in the universe and the world. But the scriptures boldly claim, on the other hand, without any embarrassment whatsoever, that our creator God, the eternal one, truly knows and truly understands all things. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit, says the psalmist in Psalm 147. John puts the matter very simply in 1 John 3 and verse 20, telling us plainly that God knows everything. Being eternal and unchanging, the God who knows all things, he never grows in his knowledge. He is never surprised by anything. His degree of insight, his degree of understanding never develops. In his eternity, he knows everything that there is to know. He knows all that has happened. He knows all that currently is happening, and he knows all that will happen. In fact, he knows all things that could happen but do not actually happen, and he knows all these things fully and all at once. He knows what is going on in every place on the earth. There is no activity or event of which he is unaware. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 15 and verse 3 that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. In a very wonderful declaration of praise, Daniel says this about the Lord in chapter 2 and verse 20 of his book. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what dwells in darkness and light dwells with him. God sees all things. He knows all things. And in his great wisdom, he knows how to use all that knowledge to the very best purpose and the very best end. God is both all-knowing and all-wise. That's what Daniel is saying there. And of course, that is our theme and our great subject today. And what I'd like to do in the time that we have available together is simply to explore a few key aspects of these vital truths and to begin to draw out some of their implications for us, which are many. We begin with the knowledge of God and the truth that God has perfect knowledge of us. He has perfect knowledge of me and he has perfect knowledge of you. If we believe in God at all, I guess we assume that he sees what is taking place in the world. But it's easy for us to imagine that God's knowledge of people and his knowledge of events is a kind of bird's eye view, an overview from height, from above, somewhat like the view that an operator of the security camera system might have of activities in a large public building, peering at gray and, and distant images of people scurrying around beneath the cameras. But no, that's not it at all. The Bible tells us that God sees into the very heart of each person, knowing all that there is to know about each one of us. As our creator, he knows us intimately. He knows how we are made. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. Psalm 103 verse 13 tells us that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. But more than knowing how we are made and of what we are made, he knows what's going on inside our heart and inside our mind. 
Psalm 139, David prays, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways as we've just sung. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And because the Lord has such intimate knowledge of us, he can say this of his covenant people, Isaiah 65, verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. It's like with small children. A parent often knows what they will ask for before they've thought of it themselves. In the middle of the night, almost before a child wakes, before the little feet hit the floor to run into the parent's bedroom, a parent will be awake, sensing the need, anticipating what will come next. I say a parent. In our household, one parent often manages to focus on remaining asleep through those episodes, you know, strategically conserving energy for needs that might arise during daytime hours. <laughs> I won't embarrass that parent by saying which one of us it is, but I'm pretty sure Gemma would tell you if you asked her. <laughs> Before we even cry out to our Heavenly Father, He knows our need. He knows what is on our heart. Before we gather our thoughts sufficiently even to articulate the prayer or the cry of our heart, He knows it in full. He knows it in detail. He knows us completely better than we know ourselves. I don't know if you've thought very much about that before, but it is one of the most comforting thoughts we could ever consider. Now, it goes along with a whole lot of other wonderful truths about God that we have considered and will consider in this series, that He is loving and that He is powerful and that He is kind and so on. But how amazing to think simply that He knows us, really knows us. He knows each one of us. He knows our bodies and how they function. So that if you're in the midst of a medical investigation, there's, there's something wrong, but no one can quite put a finger on it. No one has got a handle on the situation yet. Well, the doctors, they may not know. They may not have figured it out. But here's the wonderful truth God knows. He knit you together. And he sees better than any grainy x-ray what's going on within. And he loves you and he cares for you. He has power to heal you if that's his will. He has power to sustain you, come what may. He knows our quiet sorrows and our secret griefs. Those things it's hard to share with other people. But he knows, he understands, and he's there listening. He's there ready to help, ready to comfort, ready to work out his good purposes, even in this crisis, even in this disaster, even in this heartache. In the midst of difficulty, it's easy for each of us to imagine that God has forgotten us, that God has overlooked us, but God doesn't forget anyone. God doesn't overlook anyone. Because he knows all things, because he is the omniscient God, well, that very truth tells us that there is no one who escapes his view. There is no one beyond his care, no one beyond his concern. It's a very wonderful comfort. And for some here today, it is precisely the comfort you need. In the midst of whatever is going on, our loving and powerful and good Father in heaven, he knows all about it. Nothing has escaped his view. Maybe the reason you're here this morning is simply to be reminded of that very basic but very wonderful truth. He hasn't forgotten. He knows. It's a wonderfully comforting truth for the believer. But it's also a truth that brings us very deep challenge. There is a very searching side to this truth, and that's important to see as well. 
The writer to the Hebrews tells us at the end of Hebrews chapter 4 that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The God who sees and the God who hears the cry of our heart, he's also the God who sees the secret things within our hearts, the things we might prefer that no one knew and no one saw. So the psalmist can say in Psalm 44, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Or again, Psalm 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. The God who sees our heart better than we see our heart, of course, he sees our sin with total clarity. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, says the psalmist in Psalm 90 and verse 8. It's easy to imagine that in our sin we can hide. When small children do something they don't want to own up to when they've been caught in wrongdoing, very often the instinct of a child is to cover their eyes. Maybe you've noticed them do that. If I can't see mummy and daddy, maybe they can't see me in this awkward moment. Little better were the two would-be robbers arrested in Iowa some time ago. After an attempted burglary, these two were discovered with beards and masks scribbled on their faces with black permanent marker, evidently hoping in sincerity that their clever disguise might conceal their identity and help them to get away with their crime. But it's just like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. We might laugh, but it's just the essence of sin, isn't it? Imagining that God won't see them that God won't find them out in their sin. It's just like Cain, hoping that the Lord might not realize that he's murdered his brother Abel. But of course God saw it all, saying to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord. We may fool others. We may hide our sin for a time. Great crimes, even murders, go unsolved and unpunished in this life. But the Lord sees... God the judge, he knows. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message today called The All-Knowing, All-Wise God. It's part of our larger series, Who is Like Our God, where we're taking a look at God's character and his attributes. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, you can always come to the website and listen there. Stop by EncounterTheTruth.org, and you can stream the program through your computer or mobile device, or you can download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Perhaps the most dramatic and the most sobering story of this kind in all of Scripture is to be found in the book of Joshua in chapter 7. And you might like to turn there with me. I'd be grateful if you would. Joshua chapter 7. At Joshua 7, the people of Israel have just taken the city of Jericho through the Lord's great kindness, through his gracious help, through his miraculous intervention. As they had gone into the city, the Lord gave them solemn instructions back in chapter 6 that the spoil from the city, the treasure, should be kept aside as devoted to the Lord and to him alone. But sure enough, perhaps predictably enough, chapter 7 and verse 1, we read this. The Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. 
Now, Aiken thought he did something pretty clever here. He thought he'd made a shrewd move and covered his tracks well by hiding the treasure in his tent. But the Lord saw, and in the next battle, Israel was, was routed, and we read that the heart of the people melted. So now the Lord tells Joshua, you've got to deal with this before you're going to know my blessing anymore. You've got to get the people to come forward, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, until the culprit is identified. Well, they do that, and Achan is quickly singled out. And we read this harrowing tale now as it unfolds from verse 19 of chapter 7. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble upon us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. It's a harrowing scene. One of the most harrowing scenes in all of Scripture. Achan and his family, his children, all lined up before the people of Israel. And you can only imagine the, the children standing there and looking up to their father and saying, Daddy, what have you done? Daddy, what's going on here? Why is this happening? And then they were stoned, we're told, and their bodies burned. It's a terrifying picture. It's an awful scene. And it's here to tell us something. It's here to warn us. It's here to say to us that we cannot hide sin from the Lord our God. He sees our plans and our intentions. He sees our evil deeds. He knows. He knows. And the story is here to warn us that there is judgment for those who will not turn, who will not repent, who imagine that sin will never catch up with them. There is a reckoning to come for every evil thought, every evil deed. Praise God, there is the opportunity, even now, even today, to confess our sin before the Lord, to turn from wrongdoing, and to find forgiveness through Jesus and his death in our place. That's the offer of the gospel, and it's wide open. But to imagine that we can hide our sin and we can keep it, to imagine that the Lord won't see or the Lord won't mind, it's pure folly. I mention that, and I, I emphasize it, because I know full well that there may be some here with hidden things in your life. That'll be the reality for some. Hidden sin. Others don't know about it. And perhaps somewhere, somewhere in your heart of hearts, you're hoping that the Lord hasn't noticed, hasn't seen, or if he's seen, that he doesn't mind too much. But friends, we mustn't be deceived. We mustn't deceive 
ourselves. Our God knows, our God sees all things. Nothing is hidden from him. We might think that we've covered things up pretty well. We, we might think that the gold in our tent, it's quite well concealed. It is cleverly hidden. We might think that our disguise is effective and others won't see. But don't be deceived. The God of heaven, he sees all things. He knows all things. He cannot be fooled, and he will not be mocked. If you have hidden sin in your life, let me urge you, let me plead with you to deal with it honestly before the Lord while the opportunity remains. Confess it. Repent of it. Turn from it and find the grace that God extends to each one of us and offers us in Christ and through the gospel. God has perfect knowledge of us. That's our first point. And next, he has perfect knowledge of the future. In the world of business, there are plenty of analysts and economists who are well-versed in what's going on in the markets right now. They can analyze current events. They can explain trends and patterns. But the people who gain acclaim and gather tremendous wealth are those who have been able to predict where things will go in the future. That is the truly prized skill. But even the very best market forecasters are only right some of the time. No human being actually knows for certainty what will happen tomorrow or next week, let alone next month or next year. But God is wonderfully distinct in all this. God knows. He truly knows. He fully knows. It is one characteristic of him that sets him apart from all his creatures and from all other supposed gods. This distinctive of the Lord our God is a key focus of the book of Isaiah, particularly in the, in the sort of 40s in Isaiah. Just listen to how the Lord speaks of himself in Isaiah 44 and verse 6. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what is to come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. And then Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is yet to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Speaking personally, if there is one fact about God that compels me to believe that he is the true and living God, that compels me to believe that there is no other God besides him, it is his proven ability to predict the future. I wonder if you've thought about that. If you're here as an onlooker or an inquirer, I'd love for you to engage with this key truth that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. If you're here as a believer wondering where next to take the conversation with that non-Christian friend, let me commend this line of thought to you as centrally important. If you're here as someone going through a time of doubt in your faith, let me invite you to be reassured as we think about this truth together. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and the first part of a message called The All-Knowing, All-Wise God. Now we do have to pause right here, but we'll continue next time. So I hope you'll make it a point to tune in. 
If you ever miss a broadcast, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen online through the app or the radio, it's all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for praying for and giving to this ministry. We could not do this without you. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has picked out. It is called Key Concepts of the Bible. Think about words like sin, faith, and holiness. You know what they mean? What about words like justification and reconciliation? You know, just as in any other field, it's getting to grips with the technical terms that leads to a deeper understanding of them, and also a greater understanding of the Bible and how to communicate that truth with others. We'd love to send you a copy of this book, Key Concepts of the Bible, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For our Bible teacher, Jonathan Griffiths, and our producer, Mark Bretta, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.